The work of Dr. John Calhoun at the National Institute of Health in Washington, D.C. has attempted to answer this question. In a unique experiment that took years to complete, Dr. Calhoun used white mice to study population growth and its effects on individual behavior. In addition to his renowned research papers, he has recorded some of these observations on film. In this 16-cell mouse habitat, utopian conditions of nutrition, comfort, and housing were provided for a potential population of over 3,000 mice. Yet, in spite of ideal conditions, the mouse population met with catastrophe. Individuals were kept track of by color markings on their fur. Factors which normally control population growth, such as predation by owls or cats, were eliminated. Transmissible disease was also reduced. In effect, the mouse universe simulated the present situation of a continually expanding population of humans. To see how Dr. Calhoun's mouse universe grew, we'll use the familiar population graph again. Within the first 100 days, the mice went through the period Dr. Calhoun called strive. This was a period of adjustment. Territories were established and nests were made. The next period lasted about 250 days. The population of the mice doubled every 60 days. This was called the exploit period. The use of resources became unequal. Although each living unit was identical in structure and opportunities, more food and water was consumed in some areas. As the population increased, most mice associated eating and drinking with the presence of others, and crowding developed in certain units. The third period, consisting of 300 days, found the population of mice leveling off. This was called the equilibrium period. Dr. Calhoun noticed that the newer generations of young were inhibited, since most space was already socially defined. At this time, some unusual behavior became noticeable. Violence became prevalent. Excess males strived for acceptance were rejected and withdrew. Huddling together, they would exhibit brief flurries of violence among themselves. The effects of violence became increasingly visible. Certain individuals became targets of repeated attack. These individuals would have badly chewed and scarred tails. Other young mice growing into adulthood exhibited an even different type of behavior. Dr. Calhoun called these individuals the beautiful ones. Their time was devoted solely to grooming, eating, and sleeping. They never involved themselves with others, engaged in sex, nor would they fight. All appeared as a beautiful exhibit of the species, with keen alert eyes 
and a healthy, well-kept body. These mice, however, could not cope with unusual stimuli. Though they looked inquisitive, they were, in fact, very stupid. Dr. Calhoun called the last period the die phase, leading the population into extinction. Although the mouse utopia could house 3,000, the population began to decline at 2,200. In the shift from the equilibrium to the die phase, each animal became less aware of associates, despite all animals being pushed closer together. Dr. Calhoun concluded that the mice could not effectively deal with the repeated contact of so many individuals. The evidence of violence increased to the point where most individuals had had their tails bitten to some degree. Eventually, the entire mouse population perished. Dr. Calhoun's experiment is a classic example of a typical population and its growth when left unchecked. So that was a little snippet from a, well, it's a YouTube video, but uh, it's about the mouse utopia experiment. And yes, it's very, very real and kind of terrifying uh, in some of its implications. So this is episode 83 of the Kyle Style podcast, uh, Mouse Utopia. <laughs> <laughs> the failed mouse utopia. So this experiment that they were talking about was conducted at the uh, National Institutes of Mental Health. And this particular, I think this particular experiment was conducted in 1968, but it was, it was the first, but not the last of its kind. Uh, so the National Institutes, uh, National Institute of Mental Health or NIM. Hmm. Does that sound familiar to you? Mice? Nim? Hmm. It's this, uh, these ex this experimentation on rodents, uh, at Nim is, of course, the, uh, the, the inspiration for, it's what, Miss Brisby and the Rats of Nim, something like that, which became the Secret of Nim movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Actually, I just watched it again the other day to make sure, you know, that I was clear on all of it. And uh, it doesn't have exactly that much to do with uh, this particular Mouse Utopia experiment, but uh, it's just a pretty great animated movie, and you should watch it. But, uh, yeah, so it is, in some sense, the inspiration for The Secret of Nim. There you go. So, the Mouse Utopia, John Calhoun experiments, uh... 1968. Uh, we're going to dive in here to why it is that a population of mammals, let's say, might rise, level off, and fall with really no external pressures. So an extreme break from the Visions of the Apocalypse episodes where some catastrophe comes from maybe outer space or uh, something like that. But before we dive in, head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design. Check out some of my original artwork and, you know, you make a purchase, you buy a print, right, of uh, my Da Vinci uh, master copy. And then I get a portion of the proceeds and you get this like super jiggy artwork, right? It's, it's a pretty fair trade, I think. 
uh, or you head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a couple of dollars, and I'll keep talking to the microphone and bringing you the neat stuff that I'm able to dredge up from the deep, dark depths of the internet. So let's get, uh, let's get freaked out, shall we? So this mouse utopia experiment was, uh, I was pretty ambitious, honestly, I mean, to actually conduct this experiment. So they had to get the mice population, uh, 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 breeding pairs. They had to construct a mouse-proof enclosure, and that's difficult. If you know anything about mice, they can, like, squeeze through anything that's, like, bigger than a dime. Anything bigger than, like, their skull, they can squeeze their whole body through, very much like rats. So this mouse universe was a... uh, Nine foot by nine foot metal enclosure with uh fifty four inch high sides, right? So what is that? Twenty four, uh, four and a half feet high, right? So smooth sides, so they couldn't climb up out of it. But inside, um, each each side had four groups of four vertical wire mesh tunnels, so. You think of it as four quadrants, right, that are kind of separated, but there are little tunnels that go between them. So the there are food hoppers, uh, nesting boxes, because rats and mice like a small kind of enclosed space to uh, make a nest in. And they had their food and water dispensers. Now, the point of it being a utopia is the reason that they call it a utopia is because there was no there were there were there were no predators there was no predation there were no owls or uh wolves or foxes or dogs or cats or anything in there to um cause trauma or panic or uh or inhibit their population growth in any way unlimited food unlimited water they're only the only obvious uh uh limit that you you could see is that well they're just going to keep breeding until you have this giant box full of mice and they're going to be crawling all over each other right uh that's not exactly what happened though so the the experiment itself went thusly as you heard in the clip the strive period day 1 through 104 so this was july 1968, four pairs of mice were introduced into the mouse utopia. Four males and four females. Now, they crawl around, they explored the limits of their little microverse, and they established territories, because, you know, mammals are territorial generally, and rats and mice are territorial, so they kind of set up their little zone. And they started making nests. Well, Nature takes its course, and the males and the females breed. So this exploit period, day 105 through 314, the population was doubling about every 55 days. Okay, Social organization was established. Frequency of litters proportional to social dominance. So, like, the larger, more aggressive males are breeding with the more healthy females. And it's, uh, it's, it's creating... It, we would call it, like, a natural selection, essentially. It's just 
Like that's kind of what's happening, right? A bigger male scares away the smaller male, and then they breed. So the population just growing, just growing, 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 right? Until you hit that stagnation equilibrium phase. Now all of their behavior up until this point is normal, you know, rodent behavior. They kind of explore and they have little broods of uh, litters and of, of young and they feed them and they groom each other and they f they fight for dominance and they show all these normal, you know, say sexual behaviors and that kind of thing. So you hit that stagnation or equilibrium phase. Day 315 through 559. Po the population now is doubling about every 145 days, okay? The population reached 620 by day 315. So we went from 8 to 620 in 315 days. So this, this period from day 315 through about day 600 started to see a strain in the social structure and the normal social behavior of these mice you start to see what you'd think of as instinctually wrong behaviors right uh females would abandon their young before they were fully weaned uh you'd have uh males and females attacking their own young uh, eating them in some cases. Uh, because of the density and the movement of these different, uh, of, of so many different individuals, the, the dominant males couldn't maintain a, a uh, territory, right? So this led to almost like random violence right like they would just it's like a, this this area is mine now and like oh no this area is mine now they're, they're just attacking each other at random because everybody's stepping on each other's toes <laughs> right or claws i guess you have aggressive female behavior so you have females starting to lash out and be violent as well which you didn't see in the previous sort of iterations uh of the population size in the previous phases and then you have the rise of passive and non-dominant males. Now, there's increased attacks on them, and then they're also attacking each other. And they're, But they're also not fighting back. If they get attacked, they just sort of endure it, and they don't, you know, they don't struggle, and they don't fight back. And then you reach the die period, day 560 through 1588. Population increase abruptly ceased on day 560 after the colonization began. The last surviving birth was on day 600. The last conception took place about day 90. So... This coincides with, so a phenomenon of that stagnation phase, towards the end of that stagnation phase, was that uh, you would have brood reabsorption, you would have a female become pregnant, 
and she was visibly pre- visibly pregnant, and then would just reabsorb the fetuses, or have miscarriages, and they just stopped breeding entirely. And there was another phenomenon: the socially withdrawn males that were, you know, kind of constantly getting attacked. They would withdraw, and then sometimes there would be uh, rat homosexuality. They they would start having sex with each other. And they began having sex with the children. Right? The babies. Now, that runs right up to and through the die period. At day 600, the social breakdown continued and the population declined toward extinction. During this period, females ceased to reproduce. Their male counterparts withdrew completely, never engaging in courtship or fighting. Some of these mice would withdraw and they would do nothing but eat sleep, and groom. So you had these sleek, healthy coats and an uh, absence of scars because, uh, well, uh, Calhoun named these mice the beautiful ones because they would just be well-groomed and well-rested and well-fed and nothing, no one interacted, none of the other mice interacted with them. And they weren't reproducing, right? And apparently, as you may have heard of the clip, although they, it's sort of like they looked like mice. They had the grooming and the eating and the sleeping and everything. And, you know, they, but they wouldn't respond to new stimuli, right? Most, you know, rats and mice, if you, you present them with like a puzzle that can be solved by, by a rat or a mouse, they'll mess with it and play with it until they solve the puzzle and get the treat, right? And these mice weren't doing that anymore. They just sort of existed and responded to solving their basic needs, their food, their water, and grooming. And the entire, you know, population of mice collapsed. They went extinct in a universe that was built for them, that had everything that they needed. You could understand if maybe the population went up really high and then down and then back up, right? You'd, you'd go, oh, well, it, it gets too big and then it compensates and adjusts for the space that it's in. Um, and if you made it bigger, then the population could grow bigger, but then it would still fluctuate, right? That would make sense. There would be a kind of frequency to it that it would just kind of go up and down and, and wax and wane according to, you know, various things, right? Various, uh, you know, them attacking each other, some of them die from old age, all that kind of thing. But that's not actually what happened, is that you reach this weird phase, this weird period, this equilibrium period where the female mice were eating their young and the male mice are starting to mount each other and they're starting to mount and have sex with the young ones that aren't fertile and the, none of them can maintain territory or everything so they're just constantly fighting but then there's this weird separate class that are not getting attacked and they just 
sit there and live and they don't get attacked by anything and it's strange uh strange behavior for the mice but it's also just a weird phenomenon you'd think instinctually you're like well why what what is inhibiting them well there are obvious so the reason that I tell that story in that way and that they like the clip does uh connects this population growth with human population growth and that at a certain point we will be in a similar situation where it's just you know waking up eating sleeping maybe fucking and then going back to sleep and that's all that we have that's all our reality really is well you when you have that realization that wow that's it's kind of crazy and then you look at our modern world and you go well those those beautiful ones they just eat and sleep and groom and they don't do anything else that's kind of like metrosexuals right and that's kind of like uh, model, you know, models and things. They just look pretty, and they just sort of live, and nobody messes with them. They, they don't. They're not usually going to be victims of violence or anything, and they just kind of live. And I don't know how often they have children, like say models, for example. But you don't think of them as being, you know, you think of them as sexual objects, but you don't think of them or, or objects of desire, but you don't think of them as like motherly, right? So there's that. There's an idea. Um, the the homosexual behavior, right, emerges. And we now granted we've always had homosexuality, of course, but you know maybe it's escalated in, especially urban areas. There's a lot of people walking around uh, around each other all the time. Maybe that population density is what's driving this behavior, right? And then just that random violence thing, right? Just the violence that we see in society. Is it just a is it just a function? of our population density is it is it are we experiencing the the sort of human version of the mouse utopia behavioral sink as they call it uh, the mouse utopia well i mean you might you might look at yourself right and you seize on these negative things you go oh that's well, they're having sex with the children. That's kind of like pedophilia. Um, and then the homosexuality and all these things. Is Are we in a stagnation period? And we're going to be facing this uh, population collapse? And we're going to be experiencing this extinction event? Just not for any reason other than this is just what happens when you have too many mammals all in one place? You think about think about the beautiful ones. You think about yourself. And you go, man... I mean, I haven't, I haven't been in a fight in years, right? You know, man, I, I, by some standards, I kind of groom a lot. I mean, I probably shower every day. Is that excessive grooming? And am I am I withdrawn? Am I do I do I just maybe kind of go through the human level motions and I actually don't respond to new stimuli? Like, wow. You know, is am, am I conditioned? Am I trained 
by this stagnation period, maybe, of human civilization? Uh, these uh, neats and things, or these hikikomori, or hikikomura, is that what they're called? These, like, Japanese kids that they don't pursue sexuality or, you know, uh, pair bonding. They don't pursue relationships. They just sort of lock themselves away in a room and just kind of live apart from everything. They're like weird hermits. You know, neats and housebound people. Is that is that what we're seeing? Well, I want to say if you think that, it's sort of like if you think that and that bothers you, then maybe use that. I'm not saying go out and get in fights with people, but, uh, you know, think about that. Is the population density of where you live somehow uh, affecting you negatively and dictating your behavior to you? And are you passive and withdrawn? Do you look the other way in dominance struggles? Do you... Uh, do you engage in predation on other people because there is no higher predation that you would otherwise then be protecting that same victim from a higher predation? Like if there was one cat in there, would they have rallied? Would they have, you know, kind of remembered who they are, what they are? Uh, these are all questions. I don't necessarily have answers for them, but I'll 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 do you a solid though, and I'll. Uh, I mean, I'll freak you out that maybe we're in the stagnation period and we're approaching the extinction of the human species. Uh, I'll poke some holes in it. Now, mice and rats, and this experiment was performed multiple times with mice and rats, always with the same effect, the same result. You know, maybe minor, slight minor changes, but the endless food, the endless water, and no predators... And this population pattern, just, it was the same every time. Now, it's important to remember that uh, mice and rats uh, socially operate off of pheromones, right? So pheromones are a chemical body, a body chemical trail. Right, that you leave here and there. It's in I don't know. I imagine it's in your it's in your pee, but it's also in like your skin excretions and all that, and saliva and everything. So, with so many so many subjects all in one place, you've got a it's a Jackson Pollock painting, right? Of this rat and that rat and that rat and that rat, and the smells and everything are everywhere, and they're moving in lines and trails and crossing each other, and they're getting it on each other of these pheromones, so nobody knows what anybody smells like anymore. Nobody can identify anybody. So it's not a it's not a matter that they're as cognizant of every individual as say we would be, but that they're just their senses are confused. Their senses are confused because there's so much input going on. And so they can't determine, they can't define territories, they can't identify who their mates are, they can't identify who their young are, so you just leave your young, because you can't find them again, right? So it's not a matter of this whole thing mapping up onto the human scale, it's that rats are kind of dumb, <laughs> right? Now, it is important to note, and I was trying to find this, and I couldn't 
couldn't quite f couldn't find this readily. Rats and humans, um, we test on mice and rats a lot because their biology, at the very least, is very similar to ours. And again, in a, some ways, their psychology is similar. I mean, they are mammals. They do they they dominance uh, kind of tends to win out. Physicality wins out in the mating game. Um, the mating game of mice. And so, you know, they, they can get diabetes, cancers, various communicable diseases. And we, you know, we test, uh, we test medicines and things on them because they are, you know, they, they're, they're a good proxy because you can't, you know, test, you can't test medicine on people because they might die. You know, you know how we are. We're, we're pansies. Um, but the real question I couldn't find an answer to is psychologically, like, does rat behavior mimic ours? And as I said with the pheromones thing, it's like, well, if their decision-making is driven by these pheromones and things, then they're not making decisions based on the same kind of, say, reasoning that humans would base it on, would base our decisions on. So... That's this human reflectivity and consciousness kind of thing, right? So we're not rats and we're not mice. So we have means at our disposal of approaching, say, a highly population-dense scenario where we we're able to grasp meaning inside of maybe a socially chaotic, uh, you know, uh, uh, context. So it does, I, I feel like in some ways it doesn't apply like those, those deep dark things that you like to seize on that it's like, well, it's homosexuality and like pedophilia and all this stuff that it was emerging. And then like, that's happening to us. And it's, it's almost a visions of the apocalypse episode, right? Well, think about this too. We aren't in a utopia. We don't exactly have the same situation. Our population may be growing kind of proportionately or in correlation with that kind of rat utopia, but we don't have that same utopia because, never mind natural predators, we have all kinds of things that reduce human life expectancy. And it is things like negligence. It is things like disease and, and accidents and, um, you know, I guess people making poor decisions in some cases. But we don't have endless food. And so at the very least, you might be able to claim that specific industrialized countries, like I mentioned the Hikikomori, they are, uh, it's a Japanese phenomenon for these people who withdraw. Now you could say that maybe they essentially have like this utopia because they turn on the tap and water comes out, so there's water, and then you, you have your rice that you do whatever work for or whatever. There's there there's no reason to be hungry in a places like the United States. There are food banks and all this other stuff. There's all this all this food that you can have that you can get. And it's uh it's arguable that that's more like a utopia. And then yet you do see declining birth rates 
in the West, uh, Western and industrialized nations. You see these, Japan is upside down. Uh, there's more old people than young people. Is that a, a matter of their, uh, their, you know, their, their financial success has delivered them to this point where you're, you're, they're experiencing the same phenomenon as the mouse utopia? Again, I don't know. I mean, there's the correlations there. But again, we are, we are not mice and we are not rats. So I would say seize on that negative, right? Seize on those negative thoughts that, that you go, oh my God, that I'm doing that, right? I'm withdrawn and I'm not reproducing. And I'm, you know, I don't fight, which is kind of a good thing, you know? Just don't worry about that part. But how withdrawn are you? And how uh, how do you respond if you see violence? Are you passive to somebody committing violence right in front of you? If if your whole reaction is withdrawn, it very well may be that you are one of these uh, beautiful ones, right? But uh, but let's not go that far. But use that negative sort of fear to push yourself to not be part of that degen degeneration of the functioning of society, right? Like, you know, be involved, uh, you know, have emotions. Make sure that you are, you know, uh, you are engaged. And that will push back against maybe the negative effects of feeling overwhelmed by, you know, this sort of potential human utopia experiment that we're in, right? But anyways, I'll, I'll leave you with another another thing, and this is just an important little little important little meme. So it's Dunbar's number. Uh, Robin Dunbar, uh, an anthropologist, found that 150 is the number of individuals with whom any one person can maintain a stable relationship, right? So. 150 people that you can that you can actually kind of know and remember and have some level of trust with you start to get more than that and your relationship with them is so watered down that you don't have those fundamental levels of trust and cooperation because there's just too many I mean there's not enough hours in the day for you to get to them and do something with them so if you think about how society functions it uh, it functions off of groups of 150 essentially right everybody's essentially in someone else's group of uh, roughly 150 people and then you think about how strong your relationships are with all the people you know and you go, well, I'm, I'm real close to the center, the epicenter on some people. I'm like their number one person, maybe number two, number three, right? They're, I'm one of their favorites, and they're one of my favorites. But then you start to move out, and you go, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. I worked with him uh, 10 years ago. Dang, you know? And, and you hit him up, and you go, hey, man, what's going on? And he's like, oh, dude, so you still have this little bit of trust in you. And you go, if you named 150 people you'd probably find some overlap too. Like, well, a lot of your people are kind of here in my group and you could say you know all these people, but if it was the apocalypse, right? Like, would you trust all these people? Again, so that 150 is the kind of a high, a high, the higher end functional 
number of people that a human can know. So, in a certain sense, we have a similar limitation as to the uh, the rat pheromone thing, right? You you go out into say a city and like say the gangs and stuff, right? Like gangs control an area, and people will just say, "Oh, don't go over there." Why not? Because that gang controls all that stuff. If you already know that, you will just not go over there, right? So so the defined territories dictate where different groups go, and there isn't. It's not a law or anything. It's just group social behavior says no don't go over there and so those patterns are getting dictated right and then you grow up and it might not be even the same gang anymore but now the line has been drawn right like that's we don't go across that street or that's the bad part of town why well because it is well why don't we go build new stuff and fix it because we don't because that's the bad part of town the territory has been delineated and then we just live our lives around these pre-constructed territories so maybe we are in the mouse utopia <laughs> experiment after all uh so yeah the the mouse utopia experiment john calhoun uh this was repeated multiple times to have the same uh, ultimate results and i hope you enjoyed my uh you know quick run through of the experiment and how it's really freaky, and then, like, when I first saw it, it was like, oh my god, like, that's totally happening to humans. You dig a little deeper, and you find out it's not quite that simple, but again, like I said, seize on the negative. If you see those behaviors, and you don't like them, especially in yourself, kind of call yourself out a little bit, and maybe, maybe, maybe there is a, a sort of degenerative social cultural effect happening and it's up to you and it's up to me to kind of push back on it right and and be be i guess be cavemen right? like don't give in to how modern how the modern society is be a bit savage uh be a bit adventurous and don't endlessly groom yourself and not reproduce there's a good takeaway right don't just don't overly groom and reproduce and then you will be you know, pushing back against this uh, behavioral sink phenomena. You'll be doing your part. So, I appreciate you listening. I'm doing my part. So, you know, Kyle Style Podcast. Head over to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design. Pick up some of my original artwork on mugs and prints and shirts and all that good stuff. And you get some wonderful original artwork in your life, and I get a, pro a portion of the proceeds. Or you head over to the GoFundMe page, throw me a couple of dollars. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to try to keep cranking these episodes out for you, and hopefully bringing you something of interest and value, right? And the soothing sounds of my voice, which apparently, you know, people don't immediately turn off people keep listening to this I'm not sure why but they are so again mouse utopia experiment kyle style podcast episode 83 thanks for listening kyle style out nesting activity is also studied dr hill has observed that the larger the population the less care a mother gives to her nest and young the same type of individuals that resulted in the mouse utopia are also emerging in the rat population. 
There are aggressives, asocials, and outcasts. Though these studies use animals, the findings about population growth and individual behavior are being closely compared to our own human population. Like all populations that have existed on this planet, many researchers believe that the human race has reached a crucial point in the exploit phase, a point where important decisions must be made and careful planning implemented if we are to survive. The study of plant and animal populations helps us to make decisions about the future of our human population so that we may maintain our own balance with nature.